everybody, this is Keith Sarlos and Michael Larson. And we are finally back in the saddle uh, after a little bit of a long time away while we've been doing other things and working. And this is the book report, which is basically Mike and I are sitting down talking about things in our lives, uh, Sarlos related, as we compile a bunch of stories and a bunch of things we want to share with you uh, in book form. So this is the living embodiment of something that you will sit down and read. So it's like the Michael, audio prequel, the audio prequel, the audio. This is the audio book. We'll just the release audiobook. this along with it. There we go. So, so, Mike, what are we talking about today? You got questions. <laughs> I got you, answers. You said we've been working and you have been working. Uh, a little bit. Harvest, harvest done uh, or almost, almost, done. almost done. OK, yeah. So you're getting close to the end. And it made me think, um, you know, in the, in the last couple of weeks since we've talked, just kind of the idea of work. But not just work, work and play. And I think, you know, those of us who have seen you uh, on on social media or know you, it's, you know, kind of seems like work hard, play hard. And uh, and and yet talking a lot about kind of the the history of what it what it looks like to to work hard. So I just kind of wanted to talk a little bit about that first uh, first question back to your first job. What was it? My very, very, very first job was pushing a broom in a warehouse. And when I was a kid, um, baseball was pretty important to my dad. My dad uh, had the ability to go pro and played at UCLA, loved baseball. Baseball is a huge part of his life. And my brother and I grew up playing baseball and right about being, I like to say 10, but it was probably, you know, 11, 12, maybe. Um, I said, I don't want to play baseball anymore, which kind of broke my dad's heart, sadly. And he goes, what do you mean you don't want to play baseball? I said, nah, I'm, I'm over it. I don't, I don't really want to play. It's not fun for me. And uh, at that point, he goes, well, if you're not playing baseball, then you got to go to work with me. And I said, okay. And he thought he'd break me by bringing me to work and brought me to work and handed me a broom and said, you see this warehouse? And yeah, because, you know, we, we had a, a distribution business. He goes, uh, I, I want the floors to be clean here's the broom. Here's this little red dust that you kind of throw down in front of it. And it picks up all the, uh, uh, you know, the fine dust on a concrete and you would start, you know, basically start down one row and work your way all the way across. And by the time we got done, you had to start back where you started and keep going. And that was my very, very first job. No headphones, no nothing thrown into Traded a super in baseball. Hot. Yeah, Traded in baseball for a job. I did. And, um, on Wednesdays I could, was like the beach day. So I didn't have to go to work on Wednesday. Uh, but I would ride to work with my dad and, you know, mom would pick me up at like three or four or whatever. And, um, that was the beginning. And I knew strangely enough, I never went back to baseball. My brother went to work for one day, uh, almost cut off his thumb and my brother never went back to work again. No kidding. Yeah, my brother played in the pros. So I, you know, if I if I didn't if I didn't push a broom, maybe I'd be in the pros. But <laughs> honestly, it was the that was the beginning of like, you know, working with my family and being around my grandpa and my uncle and emptying trash and everybody calling me little Larry and just being a little bit, you know, involved in where dad went every day. And I think that was uh, pretty formative because it was no matter what you got up and went to work and 
I washed a lot of trucks and hosed down, you know, the whole yard a bunch of times, but I was always, I always had money in my pocket. And that was the thing I think was the, the part that I really liked because that gave me, um, freedom. I think, you know, if I wanted something, I work hard, I can buy it and, and feel pretty good about myself. Never really had an allowance. It was always like, I didn't have an allowance. I had a job. Right. And that was, you know, it sounds pretty old school, but that's, I think that kind of builds something inside of you when, you know, things aren't free and you know how, like we, I had a Pepsi machine when I was a kid, which is a big part of my life. And, uh, Pepsi machines kind of taught me the buy it for this, sell it for this, sell it for more. That's called profit. You have to rebuy, you know, cost of goods sold. And it was like the world's greatest business lesson and rolling quarters and stuff like that. And I always had cash, you know, it was like my own personal ATM. I just had to clean it and fix it and, and take care of them. And, uh, that, that Pepsi machine, as far as anything, that was the one when I learned that you could make money without, um, without having your hand there, you know, yeah. um, like set up a, a system that can make you money. Right. And that was, that was a key ingredient in that. That was a big one. And that, I so learned. Was, that, was that kind of the first entrepreneurial endeavor was the Pepsi machine? Talk a little bit yeah, about how it started. I think so. I mean, I think the Pepsi machine piece of it was, uh, seeing people leave, you know, while I was working there. So I had, I was working and then I was kind of in the right place, sitting there watching something happen. Um, saw people leave like in the afternoons to go get a cold drink out down at the liquor store. And that conversation kind of steamrolled into, we should have a Pepsi machine here, which steamrolled into going to Mr. King's. Uh, who's a guy who sold Pepsi machines in Bellflower, California and buying one and then installing it and then going to Emilio's beverage warehouse, which was just down the street. And then understanding that you buy a Coke for 22 cents if you buy it at bottom in bulk and then you could sell them for 60 cents and what that meant and keeping it clean, keeping it stocked, because if it's not stocked, you're not making money. Um, and then, you know, my grandma would find two for one coupons for me that, you know, if you bought 24, you know, a flat or of whatever cold drink, um, you know, buy one, get one free. And I would stand in line with her and she's like, oh, limit five per customer or something. And then she's like, well, he's buying them too. <laughs> and throughout We're even not high together. <laughs> yeah right and and even like throughout high school i always had you know i had a truck and my truck always had pepsis in it or cokes right in the back of it because after football practice or whatever i was gonna go by uh the warehouse and fill it up and clean them and and move forward you know that that piece of that puzzle was was big and strangely i grew up in an area where i would say 80 to 90% of the people I was around, um, you know, Dutch families in Cerritos and Belflower Artesia, they own their own business. Their name was on their sign. Mm. And I think that was a weird expectation that, 
you know, eventually I just own my own business. I don't know what that is, but you know, eventually, but that's, that's the path. That's where you were going. And that was the first, I think that was one of the first steps to me in, you know, entrepreneur. I, I kind of strangely hate that word because mm-hmm. it always, it, it's always so slick. You know what I mean? There's always so much gloss on that. And that's never who we were. We're not like glossy. Um, we're not kind of the glossy entrepreneur side of it. Everybody I know that, that I respect a lot was always, um, I don't know. I would say it's blue collar. Yeah. Like one of the people I, I, Dan Coops, who's a friend of my dad's and I really look up to, um, is now the mayor of Bellflower, you know, where I grew up, uh, had an appliance business, you know, show, you know, uh, he would sell uh, refrigerators and washers and dryers and stuff, but he was smart. And when, uh, uh, a business like his went out of business, he would buy their telephone number because on every single washer dryer or whatever, there's like a little metal tag sticker of who to call if something breaks. Yeah. And his phone, you know, Bellflower Liquid Appliance, you know, and then he would call and, and all those phone numbers of people who didn't make it started ringing to his place. Hmm. And that, that to me, it's like, that's how you make a, a, a crazy business that grows and is stable it doesn't have you know high risk it just is if you're willing to roll up your sleeves you're never going to lose your shirt and those were the people i think i was always around you know there wasn't a lot of ferraris or anything like that of course but it was uh definitely guys who drove you know truck nice truck and went to work every day except for Sundays and usually worked half a day on Saturday. And it was, it was like almost farmer mentality. That was a long winded answer. Sorry about that. Was it, was there an expectation? um, Was the expectation that you would just, you know, that your name would be on the sign someday from you or from anybody else or just kind of there in in culture, in the city, in in the place. I think I honestly think it was part of the culture. Um, I don't, you know, I honestly, I always, it sounds weird to say this, but this kind of bleeds into maybe the first thing we talked about, but it's like, I expected to hit a home run, you know, Mm. I just really did in my life. And one of the most painful, uh, growing parts of my life was that the realization that, you know, I, I probably won't. And that was, that was a tough pill to swallow. But uh, like we talked about a little bit in the first episode, it was the moment of deciding that, you know, if you tear down uh, and I'm going to I'm going to paraphrase something, but I'm going to say something someone else said. Uh, another person I really, really respect um, is Adam Firestone and Adam Firestone uh his grandpa was the Firestone. His dad, you know, worked at Firestone. My grandma worked in their plant, right? Mm-hmm. And Adam is a Marine and a lawyer and the f- and co-founder of Firestone Walker Brewing Company, 805, which is, you know, a, a huge brand now. But he entered the Marines. And he said people, he, he made a video about it, and I've never forgot it, where he was talking about... Um, you know, people promised me stuff my whole life. 
And I think especially with like that last name and they got a winery and blah, blah, blah. Right. Uh, his dad grew up in a house with a bowling alley, like way back, you know, in Ohio, like they were, they, they have photos of Edison oh. and Ford and these people that were just sitting by a lake. You know, that's, that was like American royalty. Right. Right. And Adam could have just ran Firestone wine for the rest of his life. Probably done pretty okay, pretty great, right? Better than ninety nine point nine 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 nine. Right, and he didn't. They sold it. They bu- they built Firestone Brewing from nothing. And when he talked about what when people promised him things his whole life, he entered the Marines so he would be torn down to nothing, and anything he built back up was his. Hmm. And I think you know we've talked a little bit about rock bottom and and stuff like that, but that's always the right point. You know, I think a lot of the people that, um, that get up and work every day, work hard because they're hungry, because they've failed, because they're a 20 year overnight success. Because, you know, from the outside, it's like, oh, they just connected all the dots in the right order and they are winning the game. But honestly, every single person I've ever met that I look at them and go, wow, I'm, I'm impressed by what you do is someone who is tenacious, that yeah. never gives up, that has, you know, has been broke or beyond broke and they don't want to go back there. You know, it's the people, those are the people that are fighting to win because they're like, I, I know what it's like to lose so hard and put myself all the way out there and have crushing defeat. So I, when things start going good, I'm just going to keep working. I'm just, I'm not going to sit back and be like, oh, I made it. Those are the people that double down and usually freakishly buckle down and work twice as hard when things are even go, when things are going great. And you're like, hey, man, take it easy, relax a little bit, you know, go have fun. And they're like, no, because the demon that they feel like they have put some distance between them and where they want to go. It's not about the goal anymore. It's about not going back to the place that they hated. And mm-hmm. that's always that's always kind of rang true for me. And I know it rang true for a lot of people that I look up to that are or in front of me or coming up or right kind of alongside of me. It's always that that hustle is real. You know, that's our little joke is like, bless this hustle because there's no reason any of this should be a success, right? There's no reason that what we're doing is better than anybody else. It's, I think it's a, a huge part of it is the commitment to not stopping you know, and, and working still, like I was joking, it's like, I'm still here here on Saturdays, pouring wine and missing my kids' football games and stuff like that. And that's a bummer, but, but that's what got us here. So that's what'll keep us here, you know? Yeah. So if that's, if that's one misconception that I think people do believe that kind of, you know, if you've gotten there, you've gotten there, all, all your ducks were in a row yeah. and, and kinda, you just kind of stumbled into it. That's one misconception. What do you think are other misconceptions that people have about, you know, success, but specifically kind of that idea of work? Um, I succinctly, and this is, I'm glad you brought that up because this is something I said probably 20 times in the last week. Um, the fantasy, you know, 
most people have a fantasy of what they want, what their end result is. If they pick up a guitar, it's standing in front of thousands of people playing it for huge groups. If it's, uh, you know, painting or an art, it's, uh, being in a gallery and people writing wonderful things about you, you know, an act actor, actress, it's red carpet. I don't know. Um, everybody's got a dream. It, you know, baseball is an easy one. You want to hit the walk off home run, uh, in the world series. Right. And mm. I think that is completely without a doubt, the worst possible thing for anybody to think of. Because if your fantasy is the walk-off home run, the game is over. And if your fantasy is being on stage, there won't be enough people ever to fill that hole. If you're, if it's adulation, there's never going to be enough people to tell you you're great that you'll believe them. The fantasy always has to be the process in which you're working. If your if your goal is the home run, then uh, that's an end result of you loving to practice, loving to be in the cage and learn and and feel crappy, even though you had a good game. There's going to be one thing that happened that's going to just chew at you, and you're going to put yourself in the cage and hit ball after ball after ball after ball until it it doesn't bother you anymore. Um, if it's music, it's, you know, having to go up on stage is almost the negative part because you love songwriting and you love teaching yourself new things. And the goal becomes against yourself. If it's mm -hmm. art, it's not the gallery because the people who are awesome at painting usually hate going to their own um, shows because that's not why they do it. They do it because there's something inside of their soul that is restless and fighting to get out and they get it out on canvas. And then when people say, Oh, this is beautiful and throw whatever at them, they're like, Oh, that's totally either not it. Or, um, I hate that painting because I felt like crap while I was making it and it had to come out of me. Mm. Um, you know, for us, the the tasting room i love it it's great but it's not my favorite part you know it's um it's being outside and in the vineyard and uh you know joking around with my dad and and you know family and making fun of each other and uh picking at night where your hands are frozen and those are the things I, I like, you know, that's the reason I enjoy doing it. My dad is out there because I'm out there. I'm out there because my dad is out there. Yeah. And if he wasn't my farmer, I don't know if I'd be out there. And if I wasn't, if we weren't doing this, you know, picking for me, then, you know, he still be out there of course, cause he worked harder than anybody, <laughs> but he, uh, I think that's the part we both, enjoy. I still get excited and can't sleep before we're going to pick grapes for ourselves. And it, all of it's still hard, but it's all still um, the fantasy. I, like I wasn't, I didn't, 
I, I didn't want to do this, but now I feel, I know I'm meant to. And I think that that all came about by a series of just failures and bad things and, and having to succeed. That was, yeah. that was the key, you know? So was there a time at, you know, cause if, if you're like the rest of us yeah. at some <laughs> point you, you saw the fantasy and then at some point you said the fantasy isn't what I think it is. It's, it's the everyday it's the working towards it. yeah. it's the journey. No, was there a moment or no. was it a process? I, I never went really wine tasting before we had a tasting room. Wow. And like, this isn't a winery, you know, this is a skate shop that sells wine basically, or the house you go over to that people are like pretty nice and cool and like, yeah, have a seat, you know, hang out. That's kind of what this is. There's no pretense, right? It's just, this is our family. If we don't know what we're doing and we didn't want to be winemakers and we didn't really, we wanted to grow something from the ground and raise cattle and sell that. And, uh, planting more and getting people to buy it and really realizing, you know, what a pain in the butt customers are that buy fruit from you and winemakers and stuff. And then saying, well, let's just take some for ourselves and, and having, you know, a whole crop that no one wanted to buy. It was just like, you know, the word is providence is the right word. You know, we could have at any time stopped and said, this is too hard. This is stupid. What are we doing? But we're really just too dumb to fail. You know, we're too dumb to quit. And that piece of the pie was, you know, we, we were, I said it to someone this weekend, you know, it's like if that vineyard, that apple orchard, my dad bought was a vineyard. He never would have bought it. You know, it's like Mm. buying a factory that makes furniture. It's like, oh, I can make furniture. And then all of a sudden the furniture is garbage. So you have to make guitars. Right. And then you're like, okay, we're making guitars now. And then you're like, wow, people are really singing some nice songs with our guitars and we're getting backed up. You know, if we would just sing a few of our own, you know, uh, play our own guitar and sing our own song, then maybe we'd sell more guitars. And so we started doing that. And then people are like, hey, you're pretty good at this, I guess, you know. And, And then they started wanting the songs. And then pretty soon it turned into the concert. You know, it it wasn't pre-planned and it wasn't this thing, you know, it's, it wasn't like we were looking at someone else's family and said, we want to be like that family. So we'll we'll just, we'll just, uh, live in a house like them. And that wasn't the case. It was just this series of full on beatdowns that was, that culminated into what we are today. And like my dad and I, we st- we stood out in the vineyard and laughed and talked about it. Like, hey, can do you remember when this? And we both have tears in our eyes because neither one of us was ever going to let the other one think that we were scared and that we didn't think we could do it. But we always did it. And like even during Harvest Now, there's such a great teamwork of people that are here that, you know, my cousins are here my other cousin, Zach, and kids are around and you know Pedro and Afonso and, and my dad 
And there were times that we're telling stories of like, oh my gosh, can you believe we did that? Like, you know, I almost killed myself on a tractor because it was raining and we were picking this hill and it just slid out of control. We would never do that now. You know, we were so naive and so stupid. And it was like the first time we did anything that we just kind of went for it. Mm-hmm. And by going for it, like a bunch of morons, um, it somehow, you know, God's hand was on it. Providence, it it worked out kind of the way it was supposed to because no one said, I'm not going to do this anymore. Right. It was like, well, it always has felt like this moment where um, I don't even know what it's from, but you know, the, all the ships land and then they like burn the ships, you know, and there's a jungle in front of you and there's ships behind you. And he says, how are we going to get home? And he was like, well, not that way, you know, because the ships Mm -hmm. were burned and that was it. It was like, go forward. And 20 years later, I'm sitting here and going, oh, this is actually my life. I can't, This is the best thing I can possibly think of. But it was, you know, there are easier ways to be happy, I guess. But I don't know what they are. This- well, and I was going to ask that question because you're right. There, there are, I mean, even just to be in business for yourself, there, I mean, there are easier, there are simpler ways to, to make a living, to to, to go to work, you know, from nine to five and do that kind of thing. Yeah. You've talked a lot about, you know, working for your family and, and, you know, I know that's part of it. Is there anything else that, that makes you, that, that kind of gives you that endurance to continue to work hard? At this point, I don't like, I've, I'm never going to run a marathon in my life, but I, I know how you would start. You know, you start by getting up and like, running a little bit you run to the end of the block and then pretty soon you run around the block and then you run a little further and a little further and then pretty soon you're like oh i can run 26 miles you know oh this is my pace and i think the thing that has always kind of been handed down in our family is a a relentless work ethic because it was never that you're smarter than anyone it was not the uh, it was always kind of that mindset of, um, life is hard. It's harder when you're stupid. And most everybody in our family is a juvenile delinquent of some sort that, um, had to figure out a way around, right? My daughter is really, really good at getting A's and my son is not, but I'm worried more about my daughter than I am my son. Because it's the person who gets A's knows how to get an A in a system. The person who remains charismatic and can charm their way into pretty good grades, except for math and English, I don't really worry about because it's like, nah, you'll be fine in life. You know, Mm. the scary part is you get A's all the time. You're going to work for a B student and then the C student's going to own the company because the C student is stupid enough to go, I can do this. All I have to do is work hard. And Mm. because when they work hard on other stuff, they get B's and C's. But then all of a sudden, the thing that they were meant to do when they work with that same level of pace, like the marathon runner, they're, they're flying, you know, nobody can catch them because they're just working at that rate. Um, my dad and I, you know, we talk about, we call it the moving the rock, you know, my buddy, Matt pay, who's 
you know, executive vice president of the Clippers, we, uh, you know, we, we talk all the time and he just sent me a message that I couldn't believe. It's like, this guy's got the greatest job in the world that, you know, 99, everybody in the world would kill for. He's the guy that like anything you come in contact with for the Clippers organization, you know, that you touch, see, feel, whatever, other than people playing on the field is him and or on the court. And he just launched this, you know, new, new Jersey and it, it's awesome. And, and we're just talking, I'm like, man, I'm so proud of you. And he's like, Hey man, just moving my rock, you know, moving your rock a little bit every day and, and being a bull, which is a whole other story. But, um, you know, when you get up every day and you're like, okay, I got to move my rock like about a foot and you just know you got to do it. You know, feet turn into yards, yards turn into miles. And it's just the relentless pursuit of your thing, your, your idea of what it is. Like this morning I woke up and I was down South watching my daughter sing. And it was like the greatest night of my life. And my wife, and my mom and my mother-in-law, father-in-law friends and everybody were there to watch my daughter sing one song. Right. But there were, there were 10 people that showed up, gave up, you know, if not two days, a full day of their life to hear Brielle sing a song for three minutes. And everybody, not one person thought that that was a waste of time. Everybody was there and talking about work. It's that same attitude. It's, I'll spend my time is worth zero dollars. And if there is something we have to do and it's just going to take all day and it doesn't really make us any money, but it's something that has to be done regardless, you just do it. And then you push your rock a little bit further. Just like being an being there, being opportunistic and looking around while you're working hard will always give you an opportunity to succeed further, even when you don't see the path right in front of you. That was a long way to go just to say that getting to getting to push your rock every day is the fantasy. Getting to have a rock should be the fantasy. What yeah. are you going to do with your rock? How far are you going to push it today? It doesn't matter what you do. Wine is not glamorous. Wine is 90% janitorial and, and farming and fixing and running over to this shop and picking this part up. We're glorified welders. You know what I mean? I, I use that term lightly because I know a lot of really great welders and it's kind of a slam on them a little bit. But what I'm, what I really mean by that is we're, you know, we're, we're farming, we're, we're cleaning stuff. We're making sure something doesn't go bad and we're putting it in a bottle at the end of the day. And yeah, there's a lot of uh, romance that goes into it, but romance is not marriage. You know, being married and that long-term commitment and the effort of staying married and in love and together and, you know, that that's what it's about. It's not about romance. It's about eating, you know, cereal in your underwear and trying to decide what to move, what movie to watch tonight and still being in love while you do it. You know, sure that that's that typically is what we do on a daily basis. So if, 
I think there's a difference between it's good. I think there's a difference between hard work and significant work. And I've thought a lot about that over the last, yeah. I don't know, I've years. worked hard and not gone anywhere. Tons. Right. So, so that's the other thought. Um, you know, what makes, what makes work significant? Mm. What makes it just kind of a, a grind where you're just, you know, you end up, you know, years in looking up and saying, I, I guess I moved a rock, but not the right rock. Well, I think it's traction, you know, uh, depending on the size of your rock that you're moving forward, traction is the key because if your wheels are spinning and your rock really isn't moving, even though you're, you're pushing as hard as you can, uh, I am the first person to say that, you know, fail fast and find the direction that your rock really starts moving when you push it. Because sometimes you're pushing it uphill and it needs to go downhill. Sometimes it goes downhill so fast that you think you're cheating and you're like, this is too easy. This, this can't be the direction we're supposed to go. It's supposed to be hard. And you're like, no, but maybe you're just good at that. You know, yeah. those are all of the bits and pieces of it that, that turn, turn correctly. You know, I say to anybody, if you're doing something that you're happier at the end of the day than you were at the beginning, then you're probably in the right direction. Hmm. If your compass is, you, you know, spinning and you don't really know which direction to go, um, pick one, right? M- start moving, start pushing something, you know, develop the strength, develop skills, learn a bunch of different stuff, keep doing things you're interested in because interest means you, so there's a positive, um, you're feeling something positive when you touch it. You know, that's the magic. If, if you, you know, touch a keyboard and something sparks in your fingers and you're like, well, keep touching the keyboard, you know? And if, if clicking on a mouse or opening up illustrator makes something, you know, kind of charge up inside of you and some, you know, you made a logo for nothing and who cares, but you know, you felt really good while you were doing it. It's like, well, keep doing more of that. And that's the magnetic pull to your compass. And it will tell you where to go because no one's going to hit the home run the first time out. And the goal should not to be to hit the home run. The goal should be to like, Oh, I want to keep playing this game forever. And that's the part I think now at my age of, you know, 40 something that if I can say, if anybody can say, you know, my view of heaven is what I have now without losing any of it, then that's it. You know, I don't care what you do. I don't care if you're the CEO of a huge company and, you know, whatever, and on the cover of magazines or you have a a pursuit or a, a, a work life or a hobby or something you enjoy doing that's yours and nobody else's that, and you go, oh, I love this, you know, keep doing that because if it's not harming your family, then continue to pursue it because my dad could have played pro baseball, but didn't my son, my, my brother did because my dad loved baseball. My dad was willing to sit in stands and my mom were, they were willing to go anywhere and watch a watch a stupid game, you know, in the middle of nowhere for entire weeks or weekends to watch my brother play. And he wouldn't have got where he was supposed to go if he didn't have a a father and a mother 
who loved sports that wanted to go sit in McCook, Nebraska when he was 13 years old and watch him play baseball, you know, for a week and hot, you know, and tornadoes and crazy. It's crazy. But if you have someone who does that, then your kid goes, Hey, this is all right. You know, no one's, I'm not fighting to get my parents to go do this. My parents are like, Oh, I can't believe it. We're going to drive to, to Nebraska. It's going to be great. And you're like, well, okay. and you do it, you know? Um, is that the reason Kirk played in the pros for 10 years? Pro- maybe, probably. Because if it was yeah. like, nah, I don't want to go do that. Then you don't get that experience and you don't get that stuff uh, that makes you ready for the pros. Cause that's all it is. I mean, the pros are, you have done enough things that you are now ready to go there. Right. It's not that they are waiting for you. It's that you've worked hard enough that said, Hey, we would like you to play with us because you've done enough work to get here. Mm. And then they get there and it's like, well, are you good enough to stay? And I think that's with everybody, you know, it's like people, maybe people aren't working hard enough to get to the pros, but if they, if some, if you get an opportunity to go to the pros, it's like, then dig in and hit a home run, man. Like be ready, be ready for the pros. Yeah. I love, I love the way that you talked about, I mean, I think again, that the idyllic dream, maybe it's fantasy, whatever it is, is that you, you know, somebody finds their, their passion and they find it, you know, maybe the minute they graduate from college or, yeah. or earlier and then they congratulations you know, they, they, if you did right and then they live they live in that passion every single day and it's they know it and they've got a clarity around it and i actually love that a part of your story is you know i didn't it, you know i didn't have this interest in wine no that i said oh this is my passion because i think then people can kind of feel like well i don't have it so what am i supposed to do keith yeah. i don't have that passion and i and i like the way that you said well you just find that that place where there's some momentum, there's, there's some traction and, and push yeah. and go, you know, day in, day out. And then when it stops, maybe you need to pivot and maybe yeah. it's this new direction. And, uh, and, and so, you know, I've, I've heard a little bit about that, but even, even talking a little bit about maybe how those pivots have happened mm. in, in your life or your story, whether it's, you know, with, with wine or even before that. Well, one of the things, uh, you know, you touched on an interesting point. If you're, if you're a person that doesn't know what they're, meant to do congratulations like i i think that's probably one of the greatest you know sadly gifts that you can get um everybody thinks their thing is what is supposed to make them money and their career if it can be that congratulations that's pretty that's as that's as difficult as um making the pros you know baseball there's a select few that your passion and your uh, vocation are the same sure. thing. Um, even harder, if you like, for uh, I've I've been with my brother watching him play in the College World Series, and I there were people on his team that weren't going to go to the pros, and they had sent their whole life in the pursuit of. Uh, of that dream and they didn't make it to the next level after college Hmm. and their passion, everything they put themselves into stopped after that last game. That's 
and then you have an entire life of 20 to 90 that um that your passion's over you don't get to go play baseball every day right right and it broke them i think in my opinion or in my experience that when you have those uh those pieces of your life where you go i don't know what i'm supposed to do I think asking that question is the first step in figuring out what it is you are supposed to do. You know, field of dreams, the, uh, you know, whenever, when, when, uh, what's, you know, Darth Vader, uh, Jones is, goes, well, I know what everybody was supposed to do here except for me. Right. And I feel like a lot of people feel that way. Like that person has this, this person has that. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And it's easy when there's big neon signs, but I think it's really, um, if, if you start investigating and you start trying to figure out what you're supposed to do, that path begins. If you just sit there and wait, it will never show up. You know, there's not going to be a bus that hits you that says, oh, this is my purpose, right? Or you're not going to flip a couch cushion. You know, there's a great Gary Larson far side where it's like, you know, this guy (laughs) opens up a cushion and he's holding something and it has like springs and it's this weird thing. And he goes, you know, Jim finally finds his purpose. And it's like, no, that's the joke, right? The joke is you're never going to find your purpose under the couch cushion unless it is building couches. I don't know. But that that pivoting is um, I like certain things and those things, you know, garnered my interest and we move forward and I'm like, Oh, I like this. And I had buddies who were really good at some really cool stuff and like design and what got, you know, I'd go over to their place after work and watch them work and what are you working on and checking it out. And uh, you know, I like, all kinds of, re- I'm like a, a real generalist, you know, pretty round, no, mm. no PhD in anything. It's like, but I have tons of useless information and the useless information is because I'm interested in tons and tons and tons and tons of st- things. And it's kind of this ball of clay that I just keep adding a little bit to and learning about this and checking that out. And how does this fit in my life? And wow, this is cool. And when, when I opened this, my wife goes, wow, it was like you were collecting all of the parts to build something and you had no idea what you were building the whole time. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, I got the part for that. I got the part for that. And it all kind of came together in a, in a way that it was supposed to. And I think you have to be ready and and it's, you know, this is, this is getting into preaching, but you have, I've never known anybody that has hit there or figured out what their purpose is while things are going good. You know, mm-hmm. good is an insulator watching other, someone else win on television and feeling like you won is an insulator. That is You know, if you have a team and they're winning and you feel like you're winning, that is um, by proxy. You know, you didn't really win, but you feel like you did. You know, that's why we go to movies and and watch stuff. It's like I 
uh, you know, you're like, oh, I feel like I won, but you didn't do anything. You sat there, you watched somebody win. Right. And for me, it was always the, um, I'd rather lose. Not really. You don't really want to ever lose, but you would rather be on the field trying than watching. And when you're talking about pivoting, it was like, yeah, you got, sometimes you got to do some shit you don't like, but you also, while you're there, you know, I go back to what my grandpa said when I cleaned a bathroom says, you don't have to be a janitor your whole life, but today you do. So you might as well enjoy it. And I've done a bunch of jobs that I didn't like that I hated, but that little might as well enjoy it part came in my mind and it, it, takes away the feeling of hating to do something and kind of replaces it with, Oh, this is temporary, you know, but might as well, you know, laugh and do this while I do it. And then pretty soon you're having a good time. And then pretty soon, you know, you get asked the questions to people that maybe have been doing it a long time. And you say, well, um, you know, what do you, what do you think about this? And, they'll give you an honest answer because you're not someone on the outside, you know, doing something next to somebody you're working right alongside someone. And maybe you have the opportunity to help them. Right. Like you can say, what would make this better? Hmm. And maybe you're their boss or maybe you're not, but maybe you have the ability to do it. And they go, Oh man, it'd be great if we had this. And sometimes you just look and that's a $200 part. And you're like, if we had a $200 part, everybody wouldn't be working 12 hours. We'd be working eight. Hmm. So let me go get this $200 part. Yeah. And you bring it and and it makes everybody's life better. But if you weren't doing that thing, you would never have known to go buy the $200 part. Sure. I spend most of my life worried that I'm not doing the thing, all the things I should be doing to find the $200 part, you know, because I'm doing something else. But when you talk about pivoting, I think that that I have I am too stubborn. I need to be forced into pivoting. Like you know, I'll I'll work something in the ground and beat the horse. You know, beat a dead horse is not not a a joke. It's like I beat horses not only to death, but beat them into the ground. And then pretty soon somebody has to pull me off and go, "Hey, listen." This isn't your fault, you know, Mm. things change. You need to be smart enough to know that things change. You need to, to do another thing and then take what you learned from there to do the next. So, and that's a, okay. So you kind of alluded to a question that I had, which was this, this idea. Okay. Hard work. That's, you've seen a model that's been generational. You still, you know, you're still intentional about it, but there's another side that, um, you know, it can be an overfocus. You can become yeah. you know, obsessed. Too, too hard. Yeah. You can become a workaholic. You can become obsessed with it. So how do you, what, what have been the struggles there? Um, for me, I think the best part about being, uh, I don't know if I'm a workaholic. Yeah, I guess I am. I don't, I don't need, I don't know. I think I'm not a workaholic. I think I'm probably one of the laziest people anybody's ever met that, uh, if, given my own devices, I wouldn't do anything, you know, that's true. <laughs> that's kind of the truth. I'm not, <laughs> it sounds crazy, but I, I think at my base, I'm, I just want to, you know, be what I was in college and just like watch movies and go surfing and, you know, eat pizza and drink 
you know, that sounds great. That's the highlight of my life, you know, doing nothing. Um, but I also have voices in my head that go, dude, you got to do something, get up, move, you know? So for me, um, I have, you know, there's a four burner principle where you have a stove and there's four burners on it. And one is, you know, love, one is friends, one is work, one is, uh, uh, health. And you have enough, if you turn all four burners on, nothing boils. It's just mediocre, lukewarm. So you pick which one of the burners you want to turn off. And for me, it's always been like health, you know, uh, uh, health is turned off and then, you know, the other ones start bubbling a little bit and then you turn something else off and then, you know, you'll probably get two really good and going, but if you turn all three and only pick one, then you're like truly a success. You know, you got to boil, you're kicking ass. Right. And for me, I didn't, the four burner principle was not, not where I wanted to go. I was never going to, I wouldn't be who I am if I turned off, you know, my, it goes for me. I'll tell you my order. My order goes, uh, uh, health. I turn off then friends. I'll turn off love and family is kind of, you know, I'll, they're the reason I do it, but I'll suffer there. And then, you know, mm-hmm. work will be the one. Um, because if, as long as everybody can eat and move forward and, you know, close and all that, you know, then it, that's maybe that horrible lie of the American dream. You know, as long as my family is, can eat and is taken care of, then we're okay. Or it really should be like, as long as my family loves each other, then we'll be okay. Um, but you know, this place is really just, and it's not easy but it's all one big pot. Yeah. And my kids don't know that that's weird. My kids don't know that coming here and doing their homework on a bar is strange. They don't know that, um, hop in, let's go and go out to a, a dirt field where things grow because grandpa's there is weird. We're not growing lettuce. You know, we're growing grapes that are going to turn into wine and we name them after people we love and people we care about. And, uh, we honor people with it and people come in and smile and laugh and like Instagram pictures and listen to podcasts. And it's really, really, and say, why don't you write a book? You know, I don't know how, I don't know how we got from a dirt field with sticks growing in it to this. Yeah. But it all seems like it makes sense now. <laughs> right. But um I it's hard to it's hard to break apart this this, you know, ball of twine cuz I think by putting it all together, you know, it's all been hard work to get here, but um and it could have broke 50 times along the way. But there's day there's nights that my two both my kids are out there, my dad's out there, my mom stops by, my cousins are out there, uh, my wife brings donuts and coffee in the morning, 
and and that could be one of the best days of my life. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's the romance of it that people think is, you know, Hollywood esque or in a book, but that's that is what you're looking for. But a dirt field with sticks growing in it, that's immaterial. Right. It could be anything. Right. Because I've gone to, yeah. I've gone to, uh, I've watched my, I've sat in the stands with my dad and my mom and my cousin and my sister in law and their kids and watched baseball games that my, my brother was coaching not even playing. And we were all there laughing and having a good time together. When we went to, that was a good story. When we went to Paris this summer to go to Normandy to celebrate the 75th year of uh, D-Day and a wine we make called Courage, we were supposed to get into the Louvre and there was this whole like mix up with tickets and da, da, da. And we met somebody there with their son and, we're like, yeah, we're going to try to get in you, get you in. And we're all excited to go to the Louvre, right? Because it's the Louvre. Why not? Right. And we couldn't get in. You know, the tickets, it didn't, everything went wrong. And we went, oh, okay. Uh, hey, look over there. There's a Ferris wheel. Let's walk over. And we all walked over there. And then we sat in the park while my wife was, you know, who was camp counselor and put all this together, was upset with the person who screwed us and uh, on the phone yelling at him. And, and we were sitting in a park in Paris ordering drinks and uh, you know, cups of, you know, things for the kids to drink. And they're all running around in a circle and throwing rocks at each other. And we're just laughing and hadn't been a good time. Even though we were outside of the place we were supposed to go in, no one was upset. No one was mad. Uh, my wife wanted justice because my wife's awesome like that. Mm-hmm. But we walked around and then just kind of made up our own little Louvre tour and laughed and pointed and said, oh, and, and made up complete lies about pieces of art that were outside. And other people started listening because we were loud and having a good time. And that's my Louvre story. The fantasy is not going to the Louvre. The fantasy is right. just standing there and loving your family enough that you can all stand around. And, and when something goes bad, you don't get upset. You just roll with it. And have a cocktail at 10 a.m. Because, hey, we're in Paris. You know, there's yeah. nothing so bad about that. It's great. And sometimes you can say, hey, we're in Long Beach. Or, hey, we're in, we're in wherever. But we're together. And this is pretty great. The fantasy is not going to Paris. You know. Right. The fantasy is... Uh, I, I probably, I can't tell you what, you know, in every other museum we went through, I, I can give you a little mental snapshots of what I saw, but I'll remember sitting in that stupid little park forever. Yeah. And that's, that's the magic trick, right? Magic trick is never look at the hand that's doing the stuff. Look at the right. one that's slowly moving in, in the pocket, right? Cause that's where the real, the real show is happening. So even in that, and I think that's a great story. It, it, I think it typifies that the other side of things. So yeah, maybe at times I struggle with 
working too hard or working, you know, too long or, or whatever, yeah. but that other, that other side of things being the play. Yeah. I mean, what, what, what have you seen is how have you seen that being an important piece for your sanity, for your success, for your family, all that? Oh, play. I, you know what? I don't know if, I guess I'm getting to that point where I don't know work and play where they, where they're different. <laughs> right. But sure. Every now and then, you know, I'll get a phone call from a buddy and it's like, hey, we're doing a motorcycle trip. And that's really when I take kind of some selfish time for myself because it's uh, it's it's basically sitting on a couch at 100 miles an hour with a helmet on and headphones. Right. right. It's pretty selfish, but it's the equivalent of I always think about that. It's like. If you all your buddies said, "Hey, come on over. We're all going to sit down on a couch <laughs> and listen. Everybody's going to wear headphones, but then we're going to sit on a couch and and you know, when we get off the couch, then we're in a place. And we're going to have food and drinks and make fun of each other." Okay, right. that sounds good. Let's go do that. You know, um, I I I really love that because it's your the the highway will un not a lot of things you have in your head, you know, you'll, you'll process and work through a lot of stuff while you're doing that. Yeah. Cause one side of your brain I've, I've learned with, you know, ADD is when they don't give, you know, they don't give people a pill that calms them. They give a, they give them a pill that, that pet, like, you know, that cranks them up because their brain is craving stimulation. And once you stimulate that thing, then it's kind of like a kid where you're like, here, play with this. You know, it's, it's almost like handing your kid an iPhone while you're at dinner. Cause mm-hmm. your kid's like, Oh, come on, man. Well, you know, uh, uh, and Jed, and you're like, here, just take the phone and you give them the phone. And now you can have your like normal business conversation or whatever you're doing. That's what those drugs do, right? They stimulate one side. So the other side can relax and do the focus. And, you know, when you ride a motorcycle, you, one side of your brain is just trying to keep you alive as fast as you're going and moving in and out. And so the other side of your brain goes, oh, we got a lot to talk about. Let's uh, let's work through right. some stuff. Yeah. So that's big for me. Um, the other one is, um, you know, my, my fun, my fun has always become or has become, uh, I don't know. Somebody goes, what do you, what do you do for fun? Well, other than the selfish motorcycle stuff, my fun is, is having people, you know, over to our house and barbecuing and, and, uh, just hanging out and relax and watching movies. Um, that kind of stuff is, is the side of me that I, you know, like I said, if I could do anything I wanted the rest of my life, it would be watch a movie I've never seen today and eat some really good food and, have a couple of drinks, open a bottle of wine and, you know, never, and do nothing, you know, that, that would be pretty awesome. But, um, like my wife loves travel and seeing new stuff and, and it's fun to go with her cause that's, but I would never go if it was just me, you know, I would, sure. I would say, Oh, where do you want to stay? Like three star hotel, like a three star maximum hotel and start way away from something and then have to get there by a certain date, almost like making a job, 
you know, I love that with your buddies that you're like, oh, great. When I get there, I'm going to feel worse about myself than I do right now. So it'll be, it'll be blast. You know, I don't know. I spent a lot of time in truck stops in the middle of nowhere going, wow, I can't believe I'm here. This is great. <laughs> How did I get here? Yeah. That, but like, that's most of my life, you know, most of my life has become the, a Devo song where it's like, dude, how is that my wife? How is that, you know, my job? How am I doing this? I, I'm not smart enough to do any of this stuff, you know? And honestly, I don't know. Like my wife's way too good for me. I don't know. But I was also the person that when, when she, I found out, you know, she had a, well, that's terrible, but it's like, I, I just didn't, I was not re- relentless, but, I just was, I knew where I wanted to get to, you know, and I saw her and met her and I'm like, this is a challenging woman. And I, I could have been way, my life would have been way easier marrying anybody else. Anybody, you know, seriously, my life could have been so easy, but I didn't, I chose her and my, my, now my life is worth it. You know, she is a, she's challenges me and makes me better and makes me want to succeed. And she believes in me. And it's like, wow, if that, if that person believes in me, why, why, why can't I believe in myself? Yeah. And, and without her, I don't know if my life definitely wouldn't be what it is today. And, but it's, it hasn't been, again, it hasn't been easy, you know, at all. It's always been effort sure but good things are never easy i guess that's why when totally. people i guess when they win the lottery they always go broke and lose their minds because right. i think earning it is a huge part of happiness hmm. Hmm. yeah because everybody said you know everybody says oh if i just had this then i'd be happy but we're all fighting over pieces of plastic that we don't really give a shit about you know once you have it it's feels worthless like i've been wanting to buy a new tv for six months i look at them all the time i love it i go in i get all amped up measure it i know exactly how big the tv i want to buy it it's huge (laughs) it's it is massive and it's surprisingly cheap and i really want it and i go home and i make my son hold up the tape measure and and we buy it and i but here's the thing i know this now as soon as i buy it i won't give a shit about it i don't care it's like, oh, I got oh, great. You know, it's so much more fun wanting it. Hmm. You know, it's so much more fun. Wa- you know, there it is. Check that out. You know, but if uh, and trying to put a bow on this because I've been talking, we've been talking forever. Um, but like, you know, going and looking at something, spinning on a turntable. Uh, you know, a car spinning on a turntable and going, oh, if I had that, I'd be happy. You know, everybody does that. Everybody looks through the glass yeah. and says, oh, if I had that, man. Oof. Or if I buy a boat, my family, I have so much fun. That is the that is the thing that will be the reason we're having a great time. But you and you kind of put that expectation on it and. Rarely does it ever work out like that. You know, you're still going to argue on the way to the lake, pulling the boat. It's still going to be a pain in the butt. It's going to cost you 500 bucks every time you start it, all that stuff. 
But the thing that I think my dad and I, we were laughing about the other day was, um, you know, people want the Ferrari and they go, Oh, if I have that, then my, you know, I've arrived. I feel like I have the right thing or whatever, but then they don't drive it. You know, hmm. they, it sits in the garage and they look at it and they don't, they, they, they cam like whatever Cameron Fry's dad was. He's like, he doesn't drive it. He just rubs it with a diaper, you know? I think that's most people in life, you know, they, they get the thing they want and then they're super precious about it. But my, we were laughing. I go, man, if I had a Ferrari, I would drive the shit out of that thing. All I would want to do is destroy it. That's what I would want to do. You know, (laughs) I would want to, there's a reason I drive a car that does 55 because if I drove a car that did 120, it would go, I would drive it 120. You know, yes. Um, and he laughs. He goes, "Yeah, totally, totally. Why wouldn't you do that, right?" And I think that you know we talked about a ton of stuff, but the thing I would say to anybody who's like, you know, number one, if you're not happy where you are, good. That means you're not where you're supposed to be. It means get up, go do it, go find out right. whatever it is. And if you you've you pick something and you're like, ah, oh, this, this feels kind of good. It's not going to feel great, but you're like, start pushing the rock, man, start doing the work. And if the work makes you happy, then go, oh shit, I got to keep doing this. How do I keep doing this? How do I keep doing this thing that makes me feel good? Well, uh, just find it, find a vocation that you can do this. Then you keep doing it and keep doing it. And you're like, wow, it's still, this is better than it used to be. You know, I'm not cleaning toilets anymore, but this is, I like doing this more. And then you keep doing it. And when all the other people who fall away because something was in vogue or whatever, and you just kept doing it because you love to do it, then pretty soon you're going to be the person that is on top of that hill over time. Yeah. As people leave, ask questions, call people, say, hey, uh, I got a question about this. I'm interested. Call the people that are on the top. And if you do, then that person who's on the top is probably you 25 years in the future. They're never going to say no. They're always going to go, oh, I want to talk to you. Yeah. And then you'll build a relationship. That person will go, oh, do you know this person? You should know each other. Oh, hey, do you know this? You were in, oh, great. So that opportunity where you started from one place and you ran all the way through and you kept pushing your little rock and you made a phone call and you said, oh, yeah, I'd like to come see you. Can we do that? And you get in the car and you drive somewhere else and you get introduced and you did. And pretty soon, 20 years from now, you wake up and you're doing a podcast with someone about things that have happened in your life when you don't even feel like you've made it yet. And yeah. and we're doing that. Right. That's crazy. Yeah. Everybody has that same opportunity, but it's just, it's all of the stuff going, oh, I don't know. I don't think so. It's that self-crippling doubt. And that's what it is. The doubt cripples you to not do the thing you're supposed to do. That's you believing the first lie that you suck. Go, great. I suck. Just If you admit you suck, then you're like, well, if I just do something about it, then that's the first step of kind of not sucking more. Mm-hmm. Like, we're not good at this, but here we are. Mm-mm. By the, right. by the 10th time we do it, maybe we're a little better. I don't know. But it's great. But that's always the thing. It's re- it's that relentless pursuit of happiness. Happiness is not a destination. I don't know anybody that has gotten to happy and says, oh, here's happy. I'm holding it. You're only happy while you're trying to get to happy. 
you're never happy. Like once you get to happy, it's like Schrodinger's cat. The cat is both dead and alive inside the box, right? If you are pursuing happiness, if you're like, well, I'm going to get up and try to do this. I'm going to move forward. I'm going to try. Okay. All of a sudden you are happy and you don't know that the happy, the thing that you're trying to chase that is, you know, constantly 10 feet away from you, like, you know, like a setting sun, you're never going to catch the sun. But the fact that you got up and started chasing it made you happy. It's very bizarre. Yeah. Well, and I think, uh, you know, we, we maybe sometimes look at happiness like something like a place where it's pain free, you know, oh, or that's, yeah, heaven, a, a place where, right. Yeah. Ha- happiness right. is heaven. Right. Right. And, uh, and yet, you know, kind of tweaking our definition and saying, you know, where do I feel fulfilled? Where do I feel like I'm doing significant things, significant yeah. work, making changes that matter. That's, that's a place where you can have that kind of deep down yep. happiness instead of the happiness, like I just bought this monster TV and then within, by the time I hang it on my wall, I'm kind of like, eh. Eh, who cares? Yeah, totally. Right. My, uh, my good friend, Chris Wood, who's a Marine, has an unbelievable, one of the most talented artists I know, uh, gets up, makes his bed every morning and makes his bed because mm-hmm. he goes, you have accomplished the first goal of the day. He goes, I learned that you learned that in boot camp. Right. Right. You've come, you've completed your first goal. Congratulations. Now start stringing them together. You know? Yeah. The only difference between running a big company or uh, taking a hill or doing whatever is you completed your first goal. There's going to be a series of other goals to commit today. And once you do those, you string them together. Congratulations. You're, you're a success. I don't know. Right. Right. But it also, got a it's a rough definition of what is success, right? Totally. I've got a buddy who's, who used the, the kind of the term, the phrase, just take your next right step Yeah, and then totally. string it together over weeks and months and years. And, uh, you know, and, and then you realize, oh yeah, it did take this person two decades of, you know, daily next right steps mm-hmm. or whatever's in front of you, just trying it, doing it and, and realizing, okay, maybe I do need to switch it up. Maybe I do need to pivot and then keep plugging along in slow and steady. And I, I love that out of, out of today. I love that. Uh, more than anything, is that kind of dispel the myth that how'd you get there? Well, everything only just lined up and the dominoes all fell and here I am. Well, no, it was it was a bunch of little things strung together, making the bed mm-hmm. and then the next one and then the next one and then the next one. And no, it's not perfect. It's definitely not perfect, but just continually. But even the, the failures in that in that string, the right step sometimes is failure. Yeah. And and not to be afraid of that, you know. Yep. Here's the, here's the thing. Cause we've been talking a long time and I'll leave you with this yeah. is, and, and it's very interesting. You say that <sighs> I will always say that the, the end result is, is always immaterial. Everybody thinks mm-hmm. that there's a place we're going or getting to, or a success story. I will always say that you have to find something greater than yourself to do it for. For me, it's my family, right? If you find something greater than yourself, because you will always let yourself down. You will always be like, ah, you're not, you know, why do this? You know, well, you're doing for yourself. You're like, damn, myself is a dick. I don't need to do this for myself, (laughs) right? You will always say that yourself is not worth doing this for. Hmm. But when you find someone or something that is so much more important than yourself, that will always give you a reason 
to get up and go do it always. And that once you establish what that is, like for us, it's honor and prepare. If you get up and you honor someone who, that has come before you with, with your effort or with a phone call or caring about them, and you do your work in preparation for people that are coming after you, then you have a greater purpose than yourself. You be, mean very little. And because you're filling everybody else's cup, um, you don't realize it, but that pursuit of filling everybody else's cup fills yours until it overflows. Yeah. So, it's good. That's a good place to stop it, probably. Um, so this is Keith Sarlos and Michael Larson talking way too long about work and play today. Mostly work, some play. Um, if you like this and you want us to keep going, send an email to book, B-O-O-K, at Sarlos. S- well, you're listening to this. You know how to spell Sarlos and Sons. Um, and send us some information. Mike's putting a lot of what we're doing together in a book uh, that we're going to release in the future. Uh, he wants more of your stories in it. Um, he's been getting hit with little things here and there, but I definitely think we need to get back on doing this thing every once, once a week. So people have something to listen to and something to share on their way through. So this is Keith Sarlos and Mike Larson saying, thank you for listening to book club. Uh, we will get, we need a good sign off. What should be the sign off? We will, uh, move the, uh, this is a good place to put in the bookmark. How about that? Something horribly cheesy. I'm disappointed in myself. (laughs) Have a great day, everyone. See ya.